Welcome to Brain Wellness, the podcast. I'm your host, Mandy MP. Each episode will bring you a new topic or interview related to brain health and wellness as part of my mission to help you on the path to a healthier, happier brain. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Brain Wellness, the podcast. My guest today is Eva Zobian-Wolf. She is the CEO of Eva Z Wellness. She's been in healthcare for over 20 years with 10 years in critical care. She has transitioned to mind-body medicine to help nurses manage their high-stress careers. Eva's goal is to empower her clients to make small daily changes to live an authentic, joyful life free from the impacts of the work-related stress. She is dedicated to helping healthcare workers find balance and peace both at work and at home. Thanks, Eva, for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, super excited. Um, I love having another another nurse on, on the, the podcast um, with similar length of, of experience as me too. So that's awesome. So very cool. Um, so my first question for everybody is always, what's your story? Why does brain health interest you? Brain health. Well, I started out um, working in a hospital up in Michigan, and I was all over the place. I was in, um, this was first as a phlebotomist. I worked in urgent care. I worked ER. I worked NICU. And uh, once I transitioned to becoming a nurse, I sought the areas where I just felt the most impact on me. Uh, and so I ended up in I ended up in critical care, and I was in a MICU, MSICU. So we got everything. Um, we had to know a little bit about a lot, and we were all stroke certified. And so we did have a neuro ICU in our hospital, but that was for the the higher level, mm-hmm. um, the higher level course. Uh, patients and seeing all of that, seeing the impact of um, how a stroke affected, not just the patient, but how it affected the family. And then what were the things that led up to that? Um, And one of the other things that really draws me to this is that um, my family is all military. And so uh, we ended up being kind of transplanted into Texas um, because my husband was Army National Guard and we ended up, uh, he ended up a patient at the hospital in San Antonio. Um, And we lived in the Fisher house, which is kind of like the Ronald McDonald house for the military uh, on the base for several months. And it was a house of 20 other families. Mm. And as a nurse in that environment, I saw so much um, and the effects of PTSD, TBI, and the effects of the medication and the stress. And so there's, there's so much that happens in our lives that affects the level of optimum functioning in our brain. And so many times it gets kind of faulted on one particular aspect when we know that there's so many, there's so many things, you know, everything from 
the environment that you grow up in, to the food that you eat, to the energetic um, component of the people that you surround yourself with. I mean, there's just so much that goes into how well is our brain functioning and being able to navigate that and to help people work through that process. um, I just, I find that incredibly rewarding being able to be kind of a translator of such for that topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many good points there. Oh my gosh. Um, One thing you said kind of hit me at at the beginning when you're taking care of patients in critical care, uh, critical care, especially, and then um, stroke patients specifically, the family is your whole patient. So it's not just the person lying in the bed that we're taking care of. It's everybody in there. And uh, I see this all the time too. When I'm going to see my patients, I'll be talking to the patient, the family members like, well, what about this and this and this? And they start asking all these other questions that might actually be a little bit more related to them as well, but they're all gaining information from, from what we do. And as a nurse, you're at the bedside all the time. So you're getting this all the time and what better opportunities you have to teach the patient and their family about all these things about how everything is connected. Oh, absolutely. And there's so many opportunities there that I sometimes feel get missed because we get caught up in the the doing and not so much the the hearing of everything that's going on with the patient, with the family. Um, that's just, it's such a, an emotional experience to be in that situation, you know, especially when a, when a stroke happens, because, you know, as everybody will say, well, they were fine. Yeah. And then they weren't. And it's, you know, trying to, to, you know, trying to be kind and compassionate and understanding and knowing that the education component um, needs to be specific to this moment. They can't do anything about the years that led up to the stroke, um, but we can do something about what happens from here forward. And yes. I, I think there's just so many opportunities for for that education and doing it in a way that really does create a change for the patient, for the family, and then yeah. by extension, everybody that they know. Yeah. Yep. But you have an, a, an amazing opportunity to impact way more people than you see in person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I would love for that teaching component to really be utilized so much more. I, I think there's a lot of missed opportunities in that where yeah. we get so caught in, well, you know, I've got to take the patient to CT and I've got to do this medication. And um, through no fault of the nurses, because yeah. we all know that, you know, the amount of things that are piled on top of us when, um, when we're working are just astronomical. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, but there's, there's so many opportunities there for our medical model to provide that education and that compassion during that time as well. Yeah. I think that's a, a big thing that society misses is that they don't see that teaching component as one of the things that we do as nurses. And that was always my favorite part when I was working at the bedside was that, that time to take, take with the patient and teach them about all the things that they can do to help themselves get better. And 
Yeah, it's it's always a if you didn't document it, it didn't happen type of thing. But there's so many things to document in, in healthcare these days that it's hard to get that all documented. And I was a stroke coordinator for a while too. So I, I had to to make sure that I, I let the nurses know that yes, I know that you're doing it. You just got to take credit for what you do. Um, but we we do a huge part of that. Yes, doctors do too. And I'm in the middle of that now as an advanced practice provider, but I still take the the time to educate because that was my favorite part. Um, and that's, that's where we can really impact. Yeah. We, the, as, as a provider, I can write all the orders I want to, but if I don't teach the patient what's going on or ask the nurse to teach the patient what's going on, we're not going to follow them. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Because if it's, if it's not meaningful, it's not relevant. Yeah. Why, you know, why would I, why would I want to do that? Yeah. So, and then, and it's learning how to educate in a way that, brings that meaning into it, but then also understanding that the opportunity in that moment may be, may need several repetitions because the energy level and the, the ability to be able to focus, especially after, after somebody has had a stroke, um, family members are just, their their thoughts are so jumbled and their emotional, their nervous system is just completely overrun. Yeah. I don't know how we always complain a little bit in healthcare that patients ask the same questions over and over, but it's because they're so stressed. They can't remember it. So they do need reinforcement. You can't tell somebody something once and then expect them to remember it, especially when they're in critical care, because there's so much else going on. So, yeah. Um, And then I wanted to kind of bring you back a little bit to that, the military experience there, having your husband in the hospital. How did you see so we see patients stressed out in, in ICU all the time. How is that different from what you saw in the military hospital? I think that there is a slight difference. Um, as a family member in that moment, mm-hmm. I I don't think I saw a difference. Um, I lived and breathed the situation at the time. Um, because it was just, it was, it was very dramatic. And, um, I remember we were incredibly fortunate. There was so much support during that time. We had so many opportunities for getting outside of our situation and to be shown kindness, to be shown compassion, um, to have that distraction uh, to be able to bring a little bit of relaxation into, into a moment of absolute turmoil. Um, And I think in that, in that moment, we were incredibly fortunate because that level of support doesn't happen for a lot, uh, a lot of people. Um, you know, during that time, I was a, I was incredibly fortunate to get a whole new family, a whole new extended family um, that we we still are in contact to this day. Um, cool. And so, you know, going through that situation for for several weeks, there there was there was no support. There was just you know going through going through the motions of. Um, what, you know, what are we going through today? What doctors are coming in? What's the situation? And uh, for some families in the ICU, mm-hmm. 
that that's all they they that's all they can think of. Yeah. That's that's that moment of what do I do? You know, the idea of did I shower? Did I eat? Um, did I did I did I call the this you know person and tell them that I'm not actually even home right now for this appointment? You know, yeah. all of that is just completely it's lost. Yeah. Um, you're 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 focused on what's happening with my family member and what's happening in this moment. Um, And every time somebody comes in, what's happening? What are we doing? What, what, what's, how does this change? How, how is this resolved? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, (laughs) we're sitting there going, well, we know what we know in this moment and we just kind of wait and see. Yep. Things can change at the drop of a hat when you're in critical care. Uh, So families do live moment to moment. And sometimes I think it's a gift when we, as, as the healthcare providers get the experience to be on the other side, because then we can empathize with what's happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. My father um, had vascular dementia and um, it's no longer, uh, no longer with us, but that experience of, um, how he, how he progressed, um, and then eventually, um, passed on that, that, especially in those last few days that gave me just a completely changed mentality in terms of how do I show up for my patients? How do I show up for my patients, family members? And, having having that i mean i was always compassionate before but even more so after that i had a strict rule of nobody cries alone yeah um, <laughs> nobody cries alone um but i also had a strict uh strict policy of nobody dies alone yeah. so um there's just there's so much in that connection with people yeah. um being able to being able to be with a person to be with a family, to be with a family. Um, and just to add that, um, add that support is, is really just an honor and a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. And then 2020 came along. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had this little thing called COVID and Hmm. all of a sudden family members are no longer allowed in the hospital. And for those of us that have that rule that nobody dies alone, became a very interesting time. Yes. I, um, I stepped away from the bedside shortly before COVID, um, having a family member with zero immune system. It was incredibly difficult for me, um, to, it was incredibly difficult prior to COVID and it was impossible, um, during COVID, but it was, um, showing up and being supportive of all of my medical friends and family uh it it, it's just yeah uh listening to stories listening to um experiences on both sides it's something that i hope we never experience again yeah absolutely um i can honestly say after 24 years of working in the hospital these last few years have been so so different. It's not the healthcare system that I got into. It's, Mm -hmm. um, 
I can't tell you how many times I walk through the emergency room now and it's so busy. We've got patients sitting in gurneys in the hallway and I've never seen that before. And it's, it's a time in healthcare that it's, that we've not seen and not in our lifetimes at least. And I hope we don't ever have to see it again. Uh, my, my first uh, grad degree was in uh, uh, public health nursing. <laughs> and I, we learned all about the, the different, uh, all the things that went on, the, the plague, that the uh, main influenza that happened in the early 1900s. And I thought, no way are we ever going to see that again. And then here we are. And we're experiencing it firsthand as the healthcare providers. And um, I know this is what you work you work with is stress and healthcare providers. And it's just been so much more than it ever was. Yeah, the patients are getting sicker. There's more demands put on us, but then you add this on top of it. What do we yes. do? What do we do? There is so much that nurses medical professionals, there's so much that we go through and we carry and not speak about because if we don't have a, if we don't have a family member that works in healthcare, coming home and explaining to your family that's, I worked nights, um, you know, so coming home in the morning while everybody's sitting and eating breakfast and they're like, so what happened last night? Oh, you know, just walked into a room and found my patient had pulled out their pick line as they were trying to get to the toilet. And so there was just this and that all over the, the floor and the bed and the walls and the patient and trying to explain that <laughs> to somebody. Um, how, how do you, how do you truly explain that to someone and have them not think you're crazy for doing yeah. this job? Um, <laughs> right. And then you go back to work the next yeah, night exactly. and something completely, you know, wild and different happens. Um, there is a process of slowing down, breathing, um, practicing the things that bring you joy and practicing them more in the times when you think you don't have the time for them uh, because there's so many there's so many different aspects to what people in the medical field do nurses do what they're all of the different plates that they're juggling in 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 one minute um, and that weight you know it's 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 heavy and we carry that and not necessarily let it go when we don't have to carry it. Um, days when we're not at the hospital, there's still the text messages, the emails, the phone calls, and the thought, well, if I don't go, if I don't pick up the shift tonight, then all of my friends are going to be, they're going to be short. There's going to be the patients that may not get the exact amount of care or the level of care that they need that, you know, the, the what ifs happen. Yeah. yeah. And there needs to be that kindness, that compassion, that non-judgment to where we're able to take that time and 
let our body heal in that moment so that when we do come back to the hospital, we're there with a hundred percent. We're there with our, with our full capacity. We're there with all of our attention, all of our focus. And um, in a way where it's still providing joy for us and we're showing up for our patients and our patients, family members and our coworkers and admin. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're showing up in a way that is meaningful. Yeah, as I told you before, before we push record on this, uh, working in the hospital has been um, kind of a life sucking experience (laughs) lately, to be honest, uh, because it just does. It's there's constantly illness and death and um, crazy viruses like COVID that we just can't figure out. We still don't know all the effects of it. And we see patients day after day having having so many issues be, because of COVID and the other health issues that they're putting off because they don't want to come to the hospital um, or the ERs that are super full. So it's it's been just sucking the life out of me as much as I love my job. And so I had to find something to bring me joy, hence this podcast. So starting this last fall has been amazing because every interview is just so much more enlightening. And I learned something from everybody that's on this show. And, uh, as we do this, it's, it's an opportunity for us to share what we do on a regular basis and realize all the things that we do, because whether or not we get the credit for it, we do a ton of work, with these patients. Um, so whether it's been interviewing patients themselves or caregivers or coaches, everybody's got something to to provide and we all had to find something to bring us joy. (laughs) So here we are. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because there's not enough, there's not enough talk about what we as nurses go through. The the times where we sit in our car and we're crying because we know what's going to, what's, what the shift is going to look like for us when we go into work or we come out of work and we're sitting in our car and we're crying because a patient or um, a family member called and just word vomited all of their pain onto us. Um, You know, whatever the situation is, there's so much that nurses carry and being able to learn how to talk about it with other people, um, to not go through that alone. And just to be able to, to, to process that and to be able to create those healthy boundaries with themselves, their family, their coworkers, their patients, their admin, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, being able to have that, drive and passion that led them to go into the medical field in the first place and to maintain that and not get to that point where you think of your job and you just think, Oh my gosh, why didn't I go into something different? (laughs) You know, how many, I mean, mean, how many times have you walked through the nurse's station and you're just like, should have been a hairstylist, (laughs) you know, Yep. (laughs) you know, should have done this, should have done that, should have been a, you know, flight attendant, something, 
Um, and there's there's so many there's so many different um, aspects to the medical field that are incredibly rewarding and mm -hmm. just absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it before. We're in unprecedented times. The amount of people that are the the amount of nurses that are leaving the yeah. medical field. Um, a hundred thousand nurses left in 2021. Yeah. And, you know, my thought is well, how many level, how many years of experience left with those hundred thousand nurses? Because we all know that the nurse that's been on a nursing school for three months is amazing and wonderful and has so much to learn. Yes. And the nurse that's been a nurse for 25 years that is leaving is taking with her 25 years of experience and knowledge and the ability to be able to take that knowledge and transpose it into the newer nurses. That ability is gone as well, too. So it's not just who's there and who's at the bedside, but who's training the the, the folks that come in. Um, and what's the what's the attitude and the compassion level that that's in that nurse at that moment? Um, and stress is affecting that. And anybody that's saying that stress isn't affecting the medical field, um, uh, we need to have a doc. Yeah, I think they're living under a rock at this point. Honestly. Yes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Because I mean, you know, listening listening to nurses, there's so much. There's so much that they're dealing with. Whether regardless of what field of nursing they're in, there is so much that's different from how nursing was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It, it's dramatically changed. Mm -hmm. It certainly has. Yeah. It's, this is not the same nursing that I started back in 2002 when I got out of nursing school. So I, I feel for the nurses at the bedside. Uh, absolutely. Um, and at the same token, being a nurse practitioner is not the same as it was 11 years ago when I started it either. So it's, yeah, it's a different world. Um, and so to kind of segue into the next, next part here, this is where Eva Z came in, right? Yes. So much like your podcast, um, one of the things that I had wanted to do for a long time, I have scoliosis. I have, um, always been navigating how to how to live in a body that's not incredibly flex, flexible, has a lot of chronic pain periodically. Um, and I sought out yoga as a means of staying healthy. I was always I was always a big 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 advocate of exercise and eating healthy. And I maintained that for many years. Uh, but still, there was something more that that I I needed in my body. So I started practicing yoga more consistently and noticed a, a lot of change when that was added into everything else that I was doing. Uh, and I had entertained the idea of becoming a yoga teacher for so long. And I thought, well, you know, who's going to take yoga from somebody that can't even touch their toes on some days that, you know, can I do a wheel pose? No. Can I do a headstand or a handstand? 
forget it. Nope, not unless I want to be one of the patients in the ICU. (laughs) And so I finally got that initiative in me and I started putting it out there. I started looking for yoga teachers that could help me become a yoga teacher. And this is where the the things that I did with the military and and um, yoga all combined is that I found an adaptive yoga teacher who was, is a military spouse and had started working out at Fort Bragg um, teaching yoga on on base, um, teach, working with different with different units. And so I started teaching. I started the process of becoming an adaptive yoga teacher and that led to many, many years of becoming an adaptive yoga therapist. Um, So the difference is I can teach a yoga class. um, I can teach yoga teachers and I can also work with clients and create a treatment plan that's very specific to them. And in that process of going through all of that, I started to notice a big difference in myself and how I interacted with my family, how I interacted with my coworkers, how I interacted with my patients and their families. And as I started working with clients privately in that capacity, I was helping them with the aspects that were leading to chronic illness that were leading to chronic pain and working with a client that has fibromyalgia or um, has is recovering from a surgery and being able to help them no longer need pain medications or to significantly reduce the amount of medication that they're on. Um, and that's all happening with their licensed provider, not with me, yeah. um, but <laughs> You know, seeing that gave me so much joy. And that was where Eva Z Wellness started because when I went into the medical field, that was my that was my hope. That was my aspiration that I would be able to help people be healthy and to make changes in their life. And working in the ICU, what I saw was People in the midst of an emotional, physical, and mental crisis and not having that bandwidth to be able to say, okay, I got to go home and I got to make changes. At that moment in time, all they can think of is what is happening right now and what can I do right now? So, and I kept thinking, there's a whole trajectory that can be changed for this this whole entire family had somebody stepped in, had something changed a few months ago, a few years ago, that if, especially now that we're, we're really connecting, how much stress is a precursor to chronic illness? How much stress creates and exacerbates pain in a person? Um, and how we can by just simply doing more of the things that give us joy. You know, we talk about things like going and getting a pedicure or doing a, a, a facial. And we think of those things as luxuries and not thinking of them as health care. Yeah. yeah. And if that 
we can start changing that perception, start peeling away those labels, then more people will be able to do do self-care and have reduced stress and have reduced inflammation in their body and be able to have that joy in their life and, and connect that with, I'm not just doing this because I'm being selfish. I'm not just doing this because I am sick and tired of my job. I'm doing this because this is going to do something beneficial, not just for my outlook in life, but also to reduce the inflammatory markers in my body and to have less pain in my body. This is something that's going to pull back type two diabetes. When we start talking about it in that capacity, it's not a luxury. It's not selfish. It's something that we're doing for not just our own health, but the health of our family and our friends. And so, yeah, it's not a luxury. It's a necessity. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We forget the importance of self-care, especially as healthcare providers. We just, we're always giving of ourselves and we come last. I don't know how many times I bragged about the fact that I had a hospital bladder and I can go an entire shift and not go to the bathroom. But doggone it, my patients got up and went to the bathroom because I made sure that they did (laughs) just to make sure that I did myself. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I used to pack my lunches based off of what I knew my shift was going to be like um, or what I anticipated. So if I knew things were crazy, then everything that I packed could be held in my hand and it could be carried around with me. Um, And I, I, that's not healthy. No, that's not stress-free. No, no, it's not. I I interviewed somebody else recently too. And we talked about the fact that you need to be mindful and about your eating and mindful in the space that you, you keep for yourself Uh, because you cannot just work, work, work and expect your brain to still function at the end of the day. You need to take breaks. Your brain will be, you'll be more productive if you actually take the breaks. And we just don't do that often enough as nurses. Oh, absolutely. I um, can't, can't even remember how many people I knew, and this has happened to myself as well, too. We all do this, where we're just going, 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 and running ourselves ragged until that one morning where we wake up and we go over to reach for the alarm clock, and there's literally zero energy to be able to just reach over and turn it off. Yeah, because we have depleted ourselves completely by working extra, running nonstop, not sleeping, especially as night nurses. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the number of times that, you know, I said, oh, you know, I'll sleep tomorrow when I have yeah. a day off. I'm just going to you know, carry through or I'll, I'll be fine on two, three hours of sleep. It's no big deal. Until it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, question on your clients. Is it mostly healthcare workers that you work with? Uh, I do work with a significant number of healthcare workers, but it's not only healthcare workers. No. Um, anybody that has um, chronic pain, chronic illness. Uh, I do work with a lot of um, veterans and first responders as well, too. Um, and so I say, I say healthcare workers because that is 
Um, that is, that is my, my heart. That is my passion yeah. is yeah. to help more, help more nurses, help more medical people to be able to stay in their career and to maintain that passion for their career um, yeah. for you know, as long as, as long as they're wanting it. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you went through a transition. You're not at the bedside anymore. What are you doing on a regular basis to keep your own brain healthy? I practice a lot of movement. Um, I don't necessarily do an hour of yoga a day, but I do keep, um, I keep a yoga mat that's <laughs> out all the time so that I will work for 45, 50 minutes, take a break, do some movement. Uh, I love to go hiking. I love to be outside and finding finding coffee shops where I can sit outside is is one of my passions. Yeah. Um, I have an English bulldog that is she just got her certification as a pet therapy dog. So mm. she gets to go out and bring joy to people as well too. She's a little nice. um, walking wrinkly pile of serotonin right there. So um <laughs> yeah. Perfect. She she's amazing. And I practice. I practice meditation. I practice um growing, evolving, reading as much as I possibly can, and um doing practices that 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 light me up and paying attention to my body. One of yeah. one of the things that I really focus in on is you know, how do you how do you move, how do you eat, how do you breathe and how do you sleep? Mm-hmm. And if we're paying attention to those four things and evaluating that on a daily basis, it gives us a clue. It gives us an idea of things that we can add in today. So if I wake up one morning and I have zero energy level, then it's what has to get done today. And then that's it. Those, yeah. you know, those are the priorities today and everything else can wait until tomorrow. Yeah. We always think that we need to do all of the things all the time, <laughs> but um, surprise, surprise, we don't actually need to. So yeah, knowing that, knowing where those boundaries are, setting those boundaries and adhering to those boundaries is I think one of the best things we can do for ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not just how we move has so many different, so many different options and variations. Um, I practice yoga, but a lot of times when I'm working with clients, they don't have to do yoga. It's going for a walk. It's being outside. It's, you know, maybe they're a cyclist, maybe they're a skier, how do you do the things that you enjoy yeah. and bringing more of that into your life and in, in lots of different ways. So teaching flexibility is a lot of flexibility in the body, but also flexibility in how we think and changing, changing our idea of what self-care looks like and really making it individualized so that it's not, well, this worked for my neighbor and she had really good results with it. I'm happy yeah. for your neighbor, but yeah. what works what works for you specifically? Because right. you know, our bodies are amazing. They have this amazing process of constantly 
working to bring us into balance and all of the different processes that are happening inside of our body. It's this continual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're always trying to come into balance and how, how you need to come into balance is very different from how I need to come into yeah. balance. And yeah. So meeting people in that space of what do you need in this moment? And it's not what I think you should be doing, but what do you need? And and almost giving that permission back to somebody and saying, this is, this is you, this is your life. This is your body. Um, You take ownership and you tell me if this is, if this is working for you. Yeah. Absolutely. If there was one cookie cutter way to treat everything, uh, none of us would be here doing all, all the things that we do because one thing would work for everybody. It's uh, right. there is exactly. No one size. And I, I think as, as in being in the medical field, we have a lot of check boxes and we think, yeah. Oh, well, this is, this is going to work for yeah. this, but that's not, that's not how, that's yeah. not how self-care works. And, no. um, there's so many, there's so many opportunities for variations in in how things work. One of the first things they teach us in nursing school is to individualize our care plans, right? So we all have to individualize what we're doing for ourselves, for our, our patients, for our families, uh, everything, because no two people are the same. And I learned that early on in stroke care, no two strokes are the same. Two people can have the exact same stroke and the exact same part of their brain, and they're going to respond very differently because of how everything else is wired inside of them. Yes, yes. And the more we can give those opportunities of compassion and understanding, and the more we can help people to do that for themselves, that's where that opportunity, where those changes can really happen when we keep trying. That offers that consistency that really has where that's where momentum really happens. Yeah, absolutely. So um, share for our listeners what you're working on. What's, what are the things that you right now are doing that they might benefit from? I am currently putting together a community specifically for nurses that is customizing self-care. So it's an opportunity to be in an environment with other nurses um, and other people with high stress lives uh, to go inwards, to have an environment that is filled with kindness and compassion and without judgment, where we focus in on how to customize your self-care. So there's a lot that you're doing for yourself, but then you have an environment of being able to discuss this because we all know that we grow more when we are in a, in a supportive network, um, you just look at the blue zones. You can see immediately that, you know, we, we evolve and we grow so much more when we are in a um, environment where we're also helping each other to be able to move through that. And so uh, I have something that I'm calling the emotional restoration clinic, and that is customizing your self-care having weekly Zoom calls, weekly movement sessions, and opportunities to just be able to to talk with other people that understand exactly what it's like to go home and lie in bed and swear that there is a ventilator going <laughs> off in your closet. Um, <laughs> yep. 
And then I'm also working on creating continuing education courses specifically designed for nurses that bring in these mindfulness components, what it's like to have a trauma-informed environment to create that for for your clients, for your patients. Um, uh, subjects like breathing, bringing mindfulness practices in. I would love to be able to work with someone and create an environment in an ICU where we're using breathing techniques to bring the amount of sedation medication down in patients because anxiety and pain are causing them to fight against the ventilator and to fight against the medication that um, we're working so hard to help, you know, we're using to get them to be able to get stable and to heal. Right. Oh my gosh. That could be so big. So big. Um, Where can people find you if they want to learn more about these things that you're working on? I am available on social media. Uh, at Eva Z Wellness, so E V A Z E E Wellness on Instagram. I am on LinkedIn, YouTube, and on Facebook. And then they can also find me at evazwellness.com. Perfect. Perfect. I think we could probably talk all day, Eva, uh, <laughs> but I do want to be respectful of your time. Is there any last things you want to leave us with today? Uh, do something wonderful for yourself today and always remember that you are amazing. I love it. Perfect words to end on. Thanks for that. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brain Wellness, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to subscribe, like, and share this with others to help me continue on with my mission to help people live healthier, happier lives. Go to www.brainwellnesssolutions.com to see what I'm up to and get links to all the social medias there. See you next time.